And Psalm 92 is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. And, and we're going to see that what he did by faith was he declared defeat over his enemies. And it's kind of cool, you know, going into it that way. You know, you're not, you're not even wondering whether or not you're, you're going to lose because you know you're not. You know, and you're facing these challenges and the, the enemy is coming against you and your kids and your dog and everything. And it doesn't even matter because you already know that God has won the victory. And therefore, uh, it's so cool to fight not for victory, you know, but from victory. And so Psalm 92 is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. Notice what you read in verse 1. It's a psalm. A, a song for the Sabbath day. And so they, you know, would probably sing it uh, every week. And so it says in verse 1, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your, and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. And so verse 1 tells us kind of like what to do, you know, to, to give thanks, um, to sing praises, that it's good to do that. And, and, I, and I'm sure if you guys think about it, I know for a fact that if any of us here wanted to, we could find a lot of reasons to complain. Amen? Any of you guys ever complain? Uh, probably not, because you guys are here on a midweek service. But a lot of Christians, they have that perspective. But, you know, um, we, we, we have uh, reason to praise. We really do. I think it's all about perspective. It really is. You know, we could complain, God, why did you make lions and tigers and bears? Because they're so mean, right? But, you know, if we wanted to, we could also thank him for not giving them wings. I mean, it's always a matter of perspective, right? I mean, it could be worse. Uh, we could complain if you want to. There are a million things to complain uh, about. But, but you know what? It's good, it says, to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so no matter what it is, you, you give thanks. And so we have that, that constant attitude of gratitude because we know that God is on the throne, right? I mean, there's that African proverb. It says you know, even the hen lifts her head while swallowing her grain, you know? And, and so we give thanks to the Lord I mean, for everything. We, we bring thanks. It says here we, we sing thanks to the Lord. And so when we're singing these songs, this is exactly what we're, we're doing. This is what to do. And then he tells us why to do it there in, in verse 2. The content of the chorus really is, Lord, I thank you, I praise you for your love and your faithfulness. Because I know I blow it. I blow it a lot. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, Manny, you're a pastor. I'm sure, you know, you don't sin. People have weird thoughts, right? And others are like, man, I would really like to get the juicy, juicy on Manny. I wonder what his sins are, you know? Does he ever get mad or things like that? Absolutely, I get mad. You know, I, I sin, I fall short. 
And I'm, I'm struggling. I'm fighting the fight just like you are. But, but I, 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 I know one thing that, you know, because my, my heart is not intentionally sinning, I, I know God, you know, who God is. I know who I am. And I thank him for his love. His love never changes. And he's faithful. He'll always be faithful. And so right here, the, the psalmist is saying it's good to, 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 to bring thanks and praise, to sing thanks and praise to the Lord because of his love, because of his faithfulness. And then he even tells us how to do it there in verse 3. Uh, uh, he mentions three instruments. There, again, on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, and then you do it with harmonious sound. And so uh, most guitars, they have six strings, and so imagine having ten strings there, you know? And then the harp. Uh, the other day, Sunday night, my son was talking to a sister who plays the harp. And imagine how beautiful that would be, huh? Um, the pianos, the grand pianos are like a harp, you know? If you read Psalm 150, you have all the instruments there, you know? You can just pound on the, on the wood. I mean, this is so cool, the drums. And this is how we, we give thanks to the Lord, you know? And, and when I was reading this right here, you think about the instruments, you think about the instrument of your voice. And how many of you here... I mean, you just, you love, how many of you here love music? I mean, don't you just love music? It is so amazing. It's awesome. It's a gift from God. You know, and you can listen to a song and it captures your spirit. You know, maybe you're a little down that day and you find a little melancholy music, uh, maybe with a minor note, or, or maybe uh, you have the music there and it lifts your spirits. You know, it's joyful. Uh, certain songs, um, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but maybe like Beat It or something, it, it makes you want to dance. Even me, <laughs> a man who has no rhythm, you know, you hear certain songs and it's just amazing what music is, you know. But, but you got uh, to know, you guys, that by far the most meaningful use of music is to praise the Lord. I mean, that, if you're here and, and, the, and, the mo, and most of your time in music is in, is in secular music that really has no message to God, then I think you're wasting a, a lot of your time personally. Like I said, I know sometimes you dance, and I'm not you know, saying that you can have none of the other stuff, but, but for me, I always come back. I mean, very rarely I'm over there. I'm always coming back to the real meaning of music. And that is to praise God. And, and so he's talking about that right here, how you are an instrument and how sometimes we play these instruments and how awesome it sounds uh, together. You know, when you have angels singing and then you got this guitar and then that guitar and then maybe you throw in some bass and then, you know, you got, um, you know, Aaron, you know, playing the keys and you'll, it's all mixed just right. And ha ha you have to admit, huh, when the drums are thrown in, Boom, there's like that power, huh? I mean, we need more drummers, you guys. It's not that hard. I, Henry was playing that the other day, the drum set. So we're trying to train him. No, I'm just joking. He's not. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this is what he's saying right here. With this music, we, we sing praise to you, God. We give thanks to you, God, for your love and, and for your faithfulness. And, and it's just this declaration by faith there in verse 4, For you, Lord, have made me glad 
through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. And, and as we continue to go through the psalm, we're going to see that right here, he's making a declaration of faith. We don't know exactly the details of what he's facing. And sometimes I think that the reason we read these psalms and we don't know the details is because God wants it to be applicable to all the various situations that we face, you know? Because I know you guys are going through hard times. I know you are. I mean, you can count on that. I know the enemy's hitting you hard. I know we're, we're stumbling and we're falling. I know there's this battle that you're going through, and it, it seems like, you know, you don't know how to get out of it. And, and what he's saying right here is this. He's just making that declaration by faith that, you know, we're, we're going to make it through. This guy had his trials and troubles. But notice again, look at verse 4. This is, it's, he's not sad. He's glad. He's already glad. I mean, he's going into it. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but he has this joy already. I'm glad because he knows God is going to work it out. You know, and that's so cool. The word uh, triumph there in verse 4, I will triumph in the works of your hands. I mean, do you have that perspective in the midst of your trials? Do you know that you will triumph? Now, I think that's a good translation there in the New King James, but in the Hebrew language, the word is normally translated sing. And so, you know, you sing your song, of victory. We sing it uh, there, Lord, that victory even for me. The, the work, uh, works of your hands, the works of your hands. And that's God working everything out. Even you, even you are the works of his hands. You know, because remember when God made everything, he spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. But then when he made you, do you guys remember? He went with his own hands and he got the dirt and he formed you. And the Bible talks about you being the work of his hands. There's something about the work of someone's hands. When you put it through the process of the machine, I mean, it's cool and everything, you know, everything's the same. But when you make it custom, when you make it personal, when it's handmade, tortillas, I mean, when it's handmade, I mean, it's just just so much, it's so personal. and And that's who you are. You know, I'm here to tell you that in Christ, you are victors. In Christ, you will triumph. You know, we have that t-shirt coming out. You are not just conquerors. You are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That's what the psalmist is saying right here. He's already declaring that victory, that triumph. He's singing it, and he's already glad. There's no reason to be down. There's no reason to be bummed out. There's no reason to be depressed. Why? Because you're a child of God and you have to lift your eyes and see these things. I love Psalm 138 in verse 8. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. That's us, huh? And so in verse 5, he says, O Lord, How great are your works. Your your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, when all the workers of iniquity flourish, 
It is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. And, and there in, in verse 5, he speaks, notice there, about, about God's thoughts, how, how they're deep and how his works are, are great. You know, and then and in verse 6 here, it tells us that people who don't know God or his word, they won't understand his, his ways. How often time, you guys are going to see in this world, and I hope that you don't get discouraged by that, that the wicked, for, for whatever reason, a lot of times it looks like they're exalted, you know? It looks like they rise up fast, and, you know, he compares it here to grass, they, they flourish, and you look at their life, and it looks like they'll never fail, when in all reality, uh, what the psalmist is teaching us here is the taller they are, the harder they fall. You know, I mean, God, you know, when we look at this right here, God's not going to fall. He makes the contrast there. Notice again in verse 7, for we have been, cons- I'm sorry, verse 7, um, I got mixed up here. Verse 7. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But here's the contrast. But you, Lord, are on high for how long? Forevermore. You see, he's making that contrast there. And then there's that declaration of victory Again, there in in verse 9, basically saying, Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish. All evildoers will be scattered. And so he goes back now to his own life in verse 10. He says, But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me and so i have a homework assignment for you guys what i want you to do tonight or maybe not tonight but um, somewhere along the line maybe within the next week is i want you to write a song right write a song i'm reading this right here and i'm like wow this is he's so creative you know the way that he's expressing himself and talking about the enemies and talking about god and talking about himself. You think you guys could do that? You're like, no way, I can never do it. I, I wonder what would come out of that if you just took some time. Because we, we look at this, and it is the Lord, but you know, it is these individuals writing these creative songs right here. And he talks about the horns there in verse 10. Now in the Bible, horns are symbolic of power. You know, you ever seen the, the rhinoceros, that horn, I mean, or whatever, the, the wild ox right here. Imagine, a, imagine how strong and crazy and what work or whatever, what damage a wild ox could do. And right here, he's painting it in a positive light. An animal horn pictures strength and, and an oil represents festivity and restoration of vitality. That's from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. And so, you know, you have that that oil, uh, symbolic also of the Holy Spirit. And what we read right here in verse 10, 
is that the believer is not only appointed by God, but he or she is anointed by God. Notice again, with fresh oil. It's not like you, you got the anointing, you know, whatever, 17 years ago, and you're still writing on that. You guys, cause you guys know how it is, right? You get some cologne, and then an hour later, you know, Shelly says, hey, you've been out in the sun, because I think you need some cologne, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know. I mean, it's just um, fresh, a fresh baptism, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are in Christ, right? The psalmist here he contrasts what will happen to the enemies of God and the friends of God. His enemies will eventually be demoted, but his friends will be promoted, and you're going to see it in the millennial kingdom. Sometimes you see it on earth. Are we faithful? Are we following the Lord the way that we should? You know, what a difference if your family or if your foe. Look again in verse 11. My eye has also seen my desire and my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. See, he knows what's ahead, apparently, because he's seen it in the past. You know, and we have seen this, haven't we? Some guys coming against us, people coming against us, you know, and the Lord deals with them. We've seen that, and he will always protect his church. He will always protect his people. We've seen it. You know, there's one saying, it says, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. And that's where this psalmist is. In verse 12, I love this section. How many of you here are old? Curiosity. <laughs> it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And, and you know, looking at the righteous there in verse 12, you know, that's us in Christ. And I know sometimes we don't feel it. I know sometimes I don't feel righteous, but I know I am. It's not based on my behavior. It's based on my belief in the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all my sins. And that's by, by God's grace what he's done in my life. you know. And, and what a beautiful promise right here that the righteous shall flourish like a, like a palm tree, which symbolizes beauty and, and fruitfulness. You know, I love to see those palm trees. Don't you guys like to see the way the, uh, even like the way the leaves blow in the wind. I mean, even that is a beautiful picture of, I think, the believer just, you know, moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the palm tree, it symbolizes beauty and fruitfulness. And it says right here that, that they will grow. Look again in verse 12, we're going to grow like a cedar in, in Lebanon. And that was an emblem of strength and permanence. This is not just some fly-by-night. This is not like some of those guys that come in and out and they're here and there. No, this is someone that is established. And, you know, I, I like the concept of being planted there in, in, in verse 13. Those who are planted in, in the house of the Lord, you know, and there's a, there's a consistency there in God's house. There's a connection there. And I would even go as far as saying that there's a connection 
to the congregation there, you know, that he mentions the house of the Lord. And notice again, verse 13, the courts of our God. And so when you study not only the, the tabernacle, but especially when you get into the temple, you start looking at the different courts that were there. And eventually, even in Solomon's, I mean, uh, Herod's temple, you got the court of the, the Gentiles, the women, the men, even the priests. And so, you know, this is, this is church. This is where God's people gather together. This is not the, the Lone Ranger Christian out there. No, this is someone who's planted in the house of the Lord. You know, and so as they're there, um, it's so cool. Not only, you know, week by week, but I think every day they live in fellowship with God and they draw their strength and their sustenance from Him. You know, Psalm 1, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm about how, you know, you're not walking according to the counsel of the ungodly or, you know, standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. You know, but your delight is in the law of the Lord and His law you're meditating day and night, you know. And he just talks about eventually what ends up happening to that individual who falls in love with God and His word and who, despise, who aspires to live their life according to God's word, that they become like this tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf never withers. And whatever they do, will prosper. I mean, that's a beautiful promise from God, and that's a person who's planted in his house. You know, and later, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10, and it basically it says the same thing. You know, and here we see this individual is, is fresh, they're fruitful, and they're flourishing even when they're old. Look at verse 14. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Now, I'm still trying to figure out what age exactly that is. What do you guys think? No, I won't ask you now. You know, um, I remember, uh, I, you know, when I first became a Christian, there was this one uh, uh, gentleman named Guy Duffield, and, uh, you know, he would come and he would share the Word of God you know, he's probably uh, 85 years old. Um, Dr. Van Cleve, another old man. You know, he used to be a professor in the Bible college. He would come and share. I've heard people like Dwight Pentecost, John Welverd, who was in his 90s. I mean, just teaching the Word of God with, with the sharpness, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are guys, Pastor Chuck, to the very end. And we have examples of that. You know, and so if I had to guess, I'm thinking, okay, I'm still middle, okay? So some of you young people don't laugh at me, okay? <laughs> but man, what if the Lord tarries? And what if we still have time? And you know something interesting? Look at verse 15. It's to declare that the Lord is upright. And then look at verse 2. It's right there, to declare your loving kindness. And so hopefully to the, to the very end, we are making that declaration that the Lord is the righteous rock and that's something that God, you know, provides to protect us. And so Psalms 93, this is called a theocratic psalm. And so uh, uh, others call it an enthronement psalm. 
And uh, it's basically a psalm that talks about the fact that God's on the throne. And so you have Psalm 47 and then Psalms 95 through 99. And so it's kind of cool, uh, a short little psalm. Look at verse uh, 1. It says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are, are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forevermore. And so that's a short psalm. You guys can write a short psalm, huh? You think you can write a short psalm? Try it. I want to I read your psalms, man. You know, but, but right here, um, we see the enemy comes in like a flood. But there's no need to fear. The, the Lord is here. The Lord reigns. Even when the enemy rains down his floods, and the psalm mentions the floods three times, we got to know no matter what the situation, he's still on the throne. And, and what that means is he's still in absolute, absolute control. You know, there's a really cool passage in Psalm 29 and verse 10. It says, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. And so Genesis, uh, it talks about the flood. You know, you read Genesis 6 and 4, 7 and 8. And, uh, you know, when all that was going on, that flood, that crazy flood, God was just sitting on the throne. And so if he sat enthroned during that flood, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he undoubtedly rules and reigns on the throne during all floods. You know, when it's raining, when it's pouring in life, it's comforting to know that our loving and all-powerful God is still ruling. You know, when we face the challenges of life, we have to remember that we're not facing them alone, that, that our God is with us. And you're wondering, well, who is this God? And he says there in verse 1, verse one he's clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Now, now in the Hebrew concept, um, the, the clothing, it's actually interesting. What that speaks about is this is like an extension of who he is. You know, what we find is that God is there with his majesty and his strength. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't go through hard times at, at times. We're going to go through hard things, right? And that's why we read verse 3 about those floods. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you guys caught it. I'm sure you did. Again, look at verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their, their voice. Their voice. And I thought that was interesting because it's so, so easy to, to discern what he's talking about right here. He's talking about the lies. The lies of the enemy. You know, there's a song I work out to by Lacey Sturm, and it's, um, it says, it talks about when the enemy lifts up his voice, 
I will scream back my choice. And I thought that, I like it. I don't know if you guys, I'm weird, huh? But, you know, because that's a screamo song. Do you guys, you guys like those screamo songs? Ah, they scream, right? And sometimes people don't like it, but every once in a while it's kind of cool, you know? And so the enemy is telling you his lie, and he's lifting up his voice. But she says, but I'll scream back my choice. And I, I don't know, I'm like, well, okay, the floods are lifted up. The floods are, are lifting up their voice. They're getting louder. But no way, I'm not going to believe those lies, you know. I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Mark 6, 45 through 52. Actually, it's described in all the Gospels when Jesus uh, uh, told his disciples to go on the other side of the lake. And then he said, I want you guys to go over there. I'll meet you. And then what ends up happening is the waves just, man, they just mount up. And next thing you know, they, they, they're straining at rowing. They're, they're there, I think, at the fourth watch of the night, which is probably about 3 a.m. in the morning. They're still struggling at, and straining at rowing. And it's really like, well, why would God send them there into that storm? Why all these waves rising up against them? You know, Angel was talking about how this last weekend he went to Lake Havasu. And he said, man, I saw it with my own eyes how in a lake. How in a lake it gets so crazy. You know, maybe you guys heard about that. Even recently, there was a, 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 a cruise ship that, this, I guess the engine went bad, and so it got it experienced all the waves, and they would have sunk unless uh, they got, I think they uh, um, took out half the passengers. They lifted, airlifted them out, and then they got a tugboat and, you know, took them home or whatever. But... You know, it's like that, you know, why would you send me into this, Lord? And, and, and here's the reason I think that the Lord sent them into that storm. The reason is so he could walk to them and, and, and still the storm and show them who he is. And that's, you know, the, the cool thing about the Lord. I mean, we go through hard times and there's a lot of things that God does, and a lot of times we're thinking, okay, Lord, well, you just, you know, line everything up and do what I want you to do and, you know, make it nice and neat. And God is saying, well, maybe we'll see how it works out. But the most important thing I want you to know is who I am. And that's what Jesus does, you know. And there's a lot of passages that talk about things like this. Uh, Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 is one of my favorites. It says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. In other words, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to arrive in where I want you to arrive. I'm going to be with you the whole time, so it's going to be great because, you know, the best part of me going anywhere with my family is just being with them. And, and when you're in the fire, you're not going to get burned. The only things that get burned away are those, blind, those things that, that hold you, man. I mean, God is working something great. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Only believe and as we believe as we begin to believe as we begin to walk in this triumph that we have it's a completely different life and that's what 
what we're seeing right here is this amazing psalm about God being on the throne. It's a theocratic psalm. It's an enthronement psalm, even during the difficult times. You know, Isaiah 59, 19, I like the way the New King James uh, translates it. The NIV, the NET, the NLT, they don't translate this verse properly. But in the New King James, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so imagine, um, you guys, maybe you've seen movies like the tidal waves. Imagine that. Have you guys ever seen those movies? I remember I saw one. I forgot which one it was. And it just wiped out the whole island and they showed in the... In the movies, these guys are just, man, they're in the water. You know, so imagine the enemy coming in like a flood. And when he does, it says the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, the word standard, it, it refers to a banner or a flag. And so the Lord will lift up this flag. It was something used by the military to identify groups of soldiers it would be a central flag to do what? To rally all the soldiers together for battle. Now, I thought that was interesting because the enemy comes in like a flood and God says, okay, boom, I'm going to put the flag there, the standard there, and the soldiers will rally around, and, and then Jesus would lead us into battle. You know, and as I was thinking about this psalm right here, uh, I was thinking about what we recently went through, what we are still going through as a church. You know, basically, it's not easy. It's not hard to identify the fact that it is a trial. It is a clear-cut trial that we're experiencing, right? And so, one person the other day they asked me, said, "How are you guys doing as a church? How, how are you guys doing? You know, those are things that take churches down." That's what they told me. And, 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 and the truth is, you know, when we consider these things, we're still hurting, we're still learning, we're still praying, but there's no doubt about it that the trial has built us up and God has worked it for good. It's been edifying and it's been unifying. And so I thought, wow, isn't that exactly what the enemy wants to do to destroy us and by the grace of God, his people, his people are sensitive to his spirit and they rally around that standard. You see, the, the good thing is it's not us, it's God who's fighting for us. And so I don't know um, if you walk in that confidence as a Christian, but, but you know, I pray that you would. Not, not that we're boasting in who we are, but we are boasting in the cross. So Paul said, I boast in the cross. I do. You know, God will fight for us. You know, remember Revelation chapter 12 and verse 15 and 16. It says, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now that's in reference to Israel and how the enemy, he spews forth this, you know, water like a flood. He's thinking he can wipe Israel out. But the Bible says the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood from which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And so, you know, it's the Lord. I mean, he'll do 
whatever he has to do in order to protect us. And so, again, notice in verse 4, it says, The Lord on high is mightier than the noise. If you can just see, it's just noise. The noise of many waters. Then the mighty waves of the sea. And so he closes and he says, Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forevermore. And so, you notice again, the waves, the voice of the waves, they're lies, right? They're lies. How do you deal with Lucifer's lies? Well, you, do, you deal with it with, according to God's word, his testimonies. That's what he calls them right there. And it's true and it's sure. You know how important it is for us to beware of those lies, to bring every thought into captivity. Uh, someone asked me the other day, they said, can the, the devil read your mind? And no, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say the devil can read your mind, but he can put thoughts in your mind, right? I mean, just like that, he can put thoughts in your mind. And so um, I'm sure that's something he's busy doing, shooting. Ephesians 6 calls them the fiery darts into our hearts, right? And so, you know, as we get thoughts in our mind, we have to examine everything, you know? We need to think things through. Is this true? Are you sure? I'll be honest with you. My heart goes out to many Christians who are living in spiritual poverty because they have bought the lies of the devil. No, we, we got to be so careful. I mean, you know, and he can put any thoughts, things that are contrary to Scripture, things that maybe are more relevant to you personally. He hates me, she hates me, God hates me, you know? We get these lies in, in our mind, or I can't do it and neither can God. Oh, yes, he can. Nothing too hard for God. And so, you know, we, we have to be careful. Sometimes we think we're sunk or we're going to drown. And, and then we read God's word. And, we, you know, we read God's word and, and, we, and we basically we say, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And the Lord says, come. And then what do you do? You walk on water are you living that life is that your walk as a Christian because that's the walk that God is calling us to we just have to believe his word his testimonies are true it's God's word and there's no one like God he's holy and so it's a great psalm and then and then Psalm 94 this psalm was written in a time when the children of Israel were going through heavy trials, disciplined by God. And uh, it may have been written when they were in captivity. You know, and so we read in verse 1, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked... How long will the wicked triumph? And so, I don't know if you've ever been wronged by anyone. Have you ever been wronged by anyone? You know, if you have, see if you can finish this sentence. I don't get mad. I get even. Okay, for those of you, who knew the answer to that? (laughs) Because that's in our heart, huh? Uh, We want vengeance a lot of times. Oh, God, get them. And I'll tell you what, if that's your heart, God's going to get you. 
you got to get that out of your heart. Vengeance belongs to God, and he will. You know, Moses taught this truth in Deuteronomy 32, 35, and then Paul, he kept it alive by the Spirit in Romans 12, 19, where the Bible says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so what's going on in Psalm 94 is they had suffered uh, terribly at the hands of the wicked, and apparently it had been for a long time. He describes their behavior in verse 4. It says, They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord. Now, break in pieces. Think about that. Break in pieces your people. Now, it might just be like, you know, figurative language. But, you know, there were times, like, for example, the Assyrians, you know, when they, when they took the Jews into, into captivity, they cut off an arm. You know, they'd gouge out an eye. They, dis, they would dismember the people. And we're talking about the atrocities. You know, the Assyrians, they would impale the leaders. They had mounds of skulls. I mean, it was just horrible what, what, they, what they went through. They, they break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They, they slay who? The widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless? That, those are orphans. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. I mean, he's talking about the horrible way these people were, and we see them today. There are some people in this world today that have no conscience. They are just full-on ruthless. And, and, and he's talking about them. They were experiencing this. I mean, you could think of the Holocaust or, or even things going on still today, you know, and I just think of the hor horrible crimes that are being committed around the world today. And, and you look at this, and it's just, you know, these guys, they say, the Lord doesn't see. The, the God of Jacob, he doesn't understand. I mean, basically, probably what they're saying is that there's no God. There's no God that one day I'll have to give an account to. And, and, and of course, we know there is a, a God and so we read it in verse 8, Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, and that word instructs in the Hebrew, it carries more of the idea of disciplines. He who disciplines the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile or evil. And so, you know, what he says right here is that the Lord hears. And you guys know, um, isn't it amazing how, you know, we have ears that, that the way they hear and the way that, you know, uh, God hears everything, he sees everything, he knows everything, and he will judge and punish. Interesting, more than likely what verse 11 is talking about, the Lord knows the thoughts of man is that even one day, because sometimes people, when they stand before God as a, a non-believer, they, they think that God's just going to punish them for the things that they did or didn't do. It's also even the things that they thought. 
that they shouldn't have thunk. That's not a word, huh? But you know what I'm saying? I mean, imagine that. God knows and is aware of all those things. And so in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. And so, again, more than likely, it's a psalm that's written when they were in captivity, when they were being disciplined. And, and as you're being disciplined, I don't know if you guys ever get disciplined. Do you guys ever get a trancaso from God? And what do you do when you're fighting it? Oh, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me, or... Or maybe you're denying it, that you're not being disciplined when God is trying so hard to change you. And, and right here he says, well, when you're in the middle of that, you're, you're being instructed by the word of God. You know, now you're teachable. Hopefully he's got your attention now so that when you come out of this thing, you come out different. You, you come out stronger. Like we read earlier, you grow like those cedars, uh, you know, in Lebanon. I mean, that's the, the, the point right here. Lord, as we've been disciplined, we've been in your word. And, and so I encourage you, be in the word. Open up your Bible. Read it. Ask God to speak to you. And he'll remind you of old truths. And you're going to learn new truths. And, and, and you're going to experience God's blessing. It says right there, blessed is that, that man. You know, for us, it's so cool what God does as we're his children. So I would say it this way. If you're a Christian, I would say it this way. And, and again, I don't want to get too weird, but you don't get punished. You get disciplined. You get disciplined because you're his child. See, and this is a connotation of words, but Jesus got punished for your sins. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. But as far as discipline goes, if we're Christians, we do experience that. And so that's what he's talking about kind of right here. He's saying, you guys, you're, you're disciplined, you know. But verse 15, but judgment will return to righteousness. And I know he uses the word judgment there, but he's talking about how eventually your discipline will be over and the upright in heart will, will follow it. They're going to learn from it. And so it's so cool when I read this right here. You know, that God uh, just, he gives us rest. We have a loving Lord who will never forsake us. And I, and I can't just, you know, gloss over verse, verse 14. Nor will he forsake his inheritance. You know, his inheritance is not necessarily the galaxies or the stars. His inheritance is you. And, and he will never, ever forsake you. Hebrews 13.5, it, it says that as well. Be content in such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. And so, you know, we read it in Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. And there he was speaking to Israel as a whole, to us now in the new covenant. It's as individuals, the church. 
And, and it's so cool for me, the verse that God gave me ultimately to start Almani was Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And it helps me every day of my life. And it should help you every day of your life to know that you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because He's always going to be there. You know, that's the beautiful thing we see. You know, verse 15, it teaches us that the day of discipline will end. And, you know, in one sense, it's kind of like the Bible says, weeping endures for the night, but then joy comes in the morning. And so the rhetorical question in verse 16, who, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Now, a rhetorical question is basically a question that has like a, a, a dramatic point that it wants to make. The answer is given, and, and the answer is God. Verse 17, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. And most people believe that that's in reference to this individual just, just dying. Um, he says in verse 18, if I say my foot slips... Your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. Oh, there it is. How I need that mercy. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. And, and I tell you what, if you can, maybe you can somewhere write that reference down because I'll bet you almost anything, you and I, we run into people who are suffering from anxiety, huh? And what we find in the United States of America, they say that ages 18 and older, that 18.1% of the entire population is affected with anxiety disorders. That's 40 million adults in our country. And they say, you know, that all they need is, is treatment. And, of course, we know a lot of their treatment is, you know, some of it's good, but you have to filter through everything. You know, for us, the treatment is just, you know, coming to God. And I'm not saying that everything gets taken away overnight, but He will heal you. He will restore you. And He will carry you through all these things that we suffer, the anxiety. You know, I always think of that passage in Philippians 4. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, you're bathing it in prayer. You're just on your knees. You're, you're, you're fasting. You're just really praying. You're thanking Him for the victory in advance, like we already talked about. I mean, you're really praying over it. And when you do, this is God's promise. That, you know, if you went to the doctor and he gave you medicine and, you know, say, hey, you got to take it, you know, you can't say, well, it didn't work if you didn't take it. Well, this is what God is saying. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because when you do, notice it says right there, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And that's the, like, the shelter that we need like I'm talking about, the enemy shoots those fiery darts. It won't, it won't go in. It'll bounce off. Why? 
because you really bathed it in prayer. And so in closing, this is interesting. Look at verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? Now, earlier we were talking about the throne of God. What about this throne of iniquity? What do you think that is? We don't know for sure, but I don't know. I'm kind of thinking the the throne that, that the devil sits on, man. I mean, this is this is heavy stuff. You know, no fellowship with God. They gather together, and now I'm thinking all the demons and all those who want to come against us. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. And you know, when, when, when I read this right here, I, I, just, I just know the Lord is telling us in advance because I know we're wondering, Lord, and a lot of people, what we find in, in life is that a lot of people they say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian because they say God is sovereign and God is loving. And if he's sovereign and loving, then how can all this evil be taking place? And some people, they'll actually reject Christianity because of the fact that we serve a personal and powerful God who's a loving and merciful. But, but what they need to know is that God, in his, in his amazing sovereignty and providence, he's going to work everything together for good and one day he'll make every right uh, you know he'll make every wrong right and one day perfect justice will prevail and so we have to you know when we read this right here we're like okay lord we we believe this and and sometimes i feel like i i can't wait lord i can't wait it's just getting so crazy and then the Lord reminds me of Philippians 4.13. You can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so I hope you guys know, um, how many of you here, just out of curiosity, you're, you watch movies, and, and going into it, you already know the end. You're, like, you're okay with that. You, I hate, I can't do that. I'm like, ah, don't tell me, don't tell me, man. I've actually hit my kids a few times for that. No, I'm just joking. I haven't. <laughs> but um, in this case, it's just so good to know the end from the beginning. You know, and uh, it's all because of Jesus. You know, if it's not us, it's not a man, like he said right there, who, who can help us? It's all because of Jesus. So as we close today with communion, I, I do pray that you would understand that and that you would worship him.